kind of captures what yeah. we're kind of captures what we're doing. That was Mandy's choice, I guess. So. Uh, all right, we are uh, we're continuing our, our seven weeks on the art of neighboring. This is week number six. So uh, so I'm going to share a few thoughts this morning uh, about creating neighborly rhythms. Uh, and then next week, I'm going uh, to challenge you to take some risks uh, in, in being neighborly, and then we'll, uh, and then we'll be done with the, the series. Um, I, wanted to, uh, I wanted to update you. Uh, two weeks ago, I think, I talked about uh, playing four softball games. You remember this? I, and, uh, and I kind of connected with, uh, with my more blue-collar softball uh, team, uh, uh, and, and people of difference. I, I was talking about engaging with people of difference, and, uh, and that through uh, uh, deciding to, to play these extra games with this other team, it seems like uh, starting to make this kind of connection. And I, uh, uh, there's been this one teammate, he's kind of the leader of the team, uh, on this other team that, that keeps coming up and talking with me uh, every Tuesday that I'm out at the softball complex. And, uh, and this week he, he pulled up a seat and we were, we were both kind of between games. And so we talked probably for 45 minutes about life and, all, and faith and all sorts of things. And turns out he used to go to church. He didn't know I was a pastor. He was kind of swearing up a storm at the beginning. And then he was like, so what do you do? And I said, I'm a pastor. And uh, his, his language changed just a little bit. But uh, uh, just, just slightly uh, after that. But... But I think he's even interested, and we may even see him on a Sunday morning. And, and uh, just, just kind of this reminder that uh, it's not that difficult. I, I think that's the, the thing I love about this, how this story keeps un- unfolding, and it's kind of this untold un, uh, story. Uh, we don't know, I don't know the ending to this story. Is I just kind of love how simple and real and plain it's been. Like, there's, there's nothing... There's nothing extraordinary about it. I'm not doing anything courageous or grandiose or inherently spiritual. Uh, I'm just, I just played a few extra softball games and then talked with a guy for a while in the bleachers. And, and God seems to be moving through really plain, ordinary, uh, non-professional ways. There's, there's nothing professional or pastoral about the work of being good neighbors. I, I mean, we don't need advanced degrees to be good neighbors. We don't need special training to be good neighbors. Uh, you don't need to go to seminary. You don't have to be a professional missionary. You don't have to be in a foreign country or an inner city to do mission work. Uh, there's plenty to be done here. You can do it at the softball complex or at the coffee shop or at the park, or at the bar, or at the restaurant, or the grocery store, uh, and often without even knowing you're doing it. And I think we're trying to live into a way of being where the song that we just sung, I Want to Be Like Jesus, starts to be infused into every fiber of our being. Where I, I would love to start, I, I would love to be living missionally without even knowing it. I'd love to be living like Jesus, and it just kind of seeps out of my pores because I've been focusing on discipleship. I've been trying to be a disciple, and now it's just coming out organically. Mission, outreach, evangelism, being a faithful presence, I think it happens best 
through the simple and mundane things of life. I think it happens best at backyard birthday parties and water cooler conversations and stopping to chat with our neighbors on the street. I think, I think it happens best. And if we, can, if we can get anything from this series, I hope it's that mission and outreach really isn't as daunting as we make it out to be. I can scare myself. Right? And maybe, maybe you're like me. We freak ourselves out. We tell ourselves lies. We think of a million excuses not to engage with others, not to connect with our neighbors, not to be in community with one another. I mean, just yesterday, we were at a backyard birthday party for one of Zoe's uh, good friends, uh, and I, I saw a friend of mine uh, that I've known for a long, an acquaintance of mine I've known for a long time. We used to be a lot closer. His name is Andy, and uh, we have mutual friends, and he, his daughter was at the party as well. And I didn't know if he saw me. I thought he did, and he didn't really come over and say anything. And so I, even everything within me was saying, ah, it's fine. Uh, he's talking with other people. I don't need to go and engage. And yet, why? Why do I scare myself out of connecting with people? Uh, and I'm tempted not to say anything. Sometimes the art of neighboring simply looks like saying, hey, Andy. What's new? And I did that, and we had a great conversation, and it was fun to reconnect after a long time of not seeing each other. But everything within me stupidly resists doing something so simple as just saying hi and trying to connect with people. And so I hope that we can emerge from a series like this as we enter into the summer season where we're connecting with our neighbors more often with the truth that it's just really simple. And we make it too complicated. That the calling of Jesus to love our neighbor as ourselves really doesn't have to be as scary as I make it out to be. It it can be so simple and easy, and it can happen at softball complexes on a Tuesday night. It's it's not that hard. Uh, Shane Claiborne says this, and Mac, Mac will put it up on the screen. He says this, The seeds of the gospel are really small. They're really about meeting God at dinner tables and in living rooms and in little towns that may not be known by the rest of the world. But it seems like that's exactly what, what happens when God moves into the neighborhood in Jesus. It's that which I think we're invited to grow into a neighborhood, to plant ourselves somewhere and to get to know people there and to see the seeds of the kingdom grow there. Jesus' ministry wasn't really all that complicated. We, we, we elevate the Savior for obvious reasons, and we think of his ministry as being grandiose and extraordinary and incredible, and, and in a few ways, like the resurrection, it was. But in so many ways, Jesus' earthly ministry wasn't really all that complicated. It's kind of simple. He ate with people. He talked with people, he traveled with people, he listened to people, and then when needs arose, he did his best to meet those. Uh, Plain and simple, he just loved people. It really wasn't all that extravagant. It really wasn't all that challenging. It's kind of simple in nature, and yet we trick ourselves into thinking that it's harder or scary or more daunting than it really is. So this morning... I want to present two really simple ideas 
for helping us think about being good neighbors, uh, about the simplicity of outreach and mission and evangelism. So, so I, I want to just kind of throw out two ideas uh, that I think have really practical uh, implications to them uh, and hopefully have some really practical outworking uh, of them. Uh, and then at the end, I, I want to give us a little bit of space. We're going to take communion this morning. So I want to give us a little bit of time to just kind of think ponder, reflect, listen to God and, and what God might be saying to us, especially as we prepare our hearts to come to the communion table uh, later this morning. Uh, so, two ideas that I think are pretty closely connected. The first, the first idea for kind of the simplicity uh, of being good neighbors is what I would call engaging our third places. Engaging our third places. Sociologists talk about this idea, I've talked about it a little bit here from the pulpit, this idea of third places. Uh, and the idea is that uh, our first place is our home. So, so if we think about the places in our lives, our first place is our home, and our second place is our workplace. So those are kind of the, the main places that we spend most of our lives, is at, is at home or at work. But then uh, there, we all have third places that we that that occupy our time that we spend time going to, uh, and and it's different for everyone. Uh, so things like parks, things like grocery stores, things like coffee shops, things like restaurants, and we all have our favorite places. Right? We all have places that we frequent more often than than other places, uh, and, and and these sociologists call our third. Places, these, these other places in town or in our community where we spend time and where uh, we might be a known figure there. Jesus did this all the time. He, he spent time at, at third places. You, you think, about, think about the story of the woman at the well. Right? Uh, uh, Jesus isn't supposed to be there. Right? In the story, he's not supposed to be at the well that day. Uh, it's in Samaria, which as a Jew, you just, you don't go to Samaria. That's the other side of the tracks, right? You, do, you don't go to Samaria. In fact, uh, if you're going uh, from place to place and it's supposed to take you through Samaria, you take a couple extra days to go around because that's a place you don't go. And so the very fact that this well that Jesus is at is in Samaria means he's not supposed to be there. And, and then it's you go to the well at the, in the morning or in the evening. You don't go at noonday, and that's where he, that, that's when Jesus frequents this well. So he's not supposed to be there. And then the woman that he meets at the well, uh, she's there at that time because she doesn't want to interact with anyone, right? She has a long and storied past that has brought incredible shame upon her for uh, many reasons, and she's going to the well at a time where no one else will be there because she doesn't want to interact with anyone. She doesn't want to meet people there. She wants to hide. And so Jesus, 
I don't, I don't think it's just happenstance that he, just, he, that he goes to this place at this time uh, and just happens to run into this woman. I think he's there for a certain reason. He chooses this place at this time intentionally. He's looking to connect. He's looking to, to meet with people that maybe are on kind of the outskirts of society. He's looking to bless this woman. And, and his neighborliness says myriads about the type of kingdom that he's coming to bring to this earth. He intentionally goes to this third place in order to engage with others. He wants to connect. You think about other stories in Jesus' life. You think about him eating in people's homes. Sometimes he's invited. Uh, I talked a couple weeks ago about, about him having dinner with Luke right after he's called Luke to be one of his disciples. And Luke is the one throwing the party. So he invites Jesus uh, and, and Jesus comes and hangs out uh, with, with Luke and all of his tax collector friends. Sometimes Jesus' meals are uninvited. You think about Zacchaeus, right? Jesus just says, Zacchaeus, come down. I'm, I'm going to your house. We're having a party today. I'm, I'm coming over for dinner. Uh, but point being, uh, he, Jesus places himself in people's homes in order con- to connect. And, and it's, there's nothing profound there. It's just a meal. They're just eating together. It's just relaxing and having fun. And yet, if you think about the dinner stories, especially in the book of Luke, there is so much grace and blessing and friendship and mentoring and outreach that happens through these meals. Things that we consider really simple and plain. I'm just, I would just be having a neighbor over for lunch. What's the big deal? I think we underestimate the profundity of those, those kind of meals, how profound those kind of meals can be in our life and in the lives of the people that we're connecting with. Jesus goes where people are. He goes to their homes, to fishing harbors, to the marketplace. He goes anywhere and everywhere that people gather just to connect and to bless people. Uh, he specifically seeks out these kind of places, these third places where people gather so that, intentionally, so that he can connect with people. And it's all really simple stuff. There's nothing terribly complicated about it. These are places he might go anywhere, but he does so with intentionality, he does so with his eyes open. So I think one of the challenges for us in engaging our third places is to pay attention to where we go and then to pay attention while we're there. To pay attention to where we go and to pay attention once we get there. Where do you do life? Like what, what kind of third places are starting to pop up in your mind where these are places where I gather. These are places where I go often. I think... Think about the geography of your existence. And I mean that. Think about, think about kind of the Google map of your life. Like, where do you live? Where do you work? How do you get from that place to the other? Where do you stop along the way? What kind of, I always go to this coffee shop. I always go to this grocery store. I love this restaurant. It's right by my work. And so I always go there. I, I always go to the co-op right after work or at lunchtime to get a sandwich. These, think about the geography of your life. Where, where do you do life? Uh, many of you know where I live, right? You, I live 
west of 19th and between Durston and Oak. And so that's my neighborhood. It's Brentwood. Uh, those are my people. And we walk along this path to get to Emily Dickinson as we take our kids to school. And I see the same people watering their lawns. And then I live pretty close to 19th and Oak. And that's where uh, kind of kind of a hub of businesses, and so I go to Cold Smoke Coffee, and, and I, because it's close, and we, we shop at either Smith's or at, at Town & Country, because it's not, so, I mean, think, think about the Google map of your existence. Where, where do you go? Where do you do life? Where do you live and work and shop and eat and play? And then, could you be more intentional as you go to those places? Pay attention to where you go, and then when you get there, pay attention to who's there and who, who you could interact with, how you could engage with people there, how you could be a blessing to the people that work there or shop there or, or that are doing their life there. Maybe being good neighbors through engaging our third places would look like going to some of the same third places in, with repetition rather than always looking for variety. I think some, we are blessed to live in a world where we could go to a different coffee shop every morning for a month and not have any duplicates, right? And some of us pride ourselves on that. It's kind of fun to try out different things. And yet, what if, what if you said, all right, at least, at least for this summer, I'm going to plug in to my third places, and I'm going to kind of own these places as locations of blessing. Uh, I'm going I'm to shop at the same grocery store all summer. I'm going I'm to, I'm going to go to the farmer's market a little more often, and I'm going to make that. I'm going to intentionally try to bless that place. I, I'm going to go to the same coffee shop. And I'm going to try to get to know the baristas, and I'm going to listen to their stories. I'm going to try to actively engage in their lives and see if there's any way that I can be a blessing to them. Maybe we want to kind of embed ourselves in the same third places over and over and over again instead of uh, priding ourselves on variety. Uh, uh, Maybe engaging our third places might look like doing some of the things that you do with your family or for work in public rather in private. And and the irony there is that I literally wrote that sentence while sitting alone in my office. Uh, I was doing sermon prep, and as I wrote that sentence, I should have been writing that sentence somewhere else, because I could have been, and I should have been. And and there are some parts of my job that sometimes you just want to get away and you need to focus, Uh, but there are a lot of parts of my job that I could do out in the world. I could, do, I could do more sermon prep at restaurants or coffee shops, places, places where I might interact with people. And when I do, uh, it seems like the sermon illustrations flow a little easier because I'm actually out engaging with the world. Uh, maybe there are things in your life where you, you often do them kind of alone or in privacy, and you could do them in a place where you might interact with people. Maybe there's parts of your job where at least this aspect, it's just busy work, and I'm, I'm going to go and I'm going to take my laptop to, to the coffee shop and I'm going to do my work there and I'm going to keep my eyes up just a little bit more because I, I can be distracted on this. I'm just, I'm just doing data entry f- for the next hour. So I can pay attention to who's there. I can pay attention to who's coming in and who's going out. I can be attentive to the baristas. I can be, 
Maybe there's part of your job. Maybe it's part of, of your family life. Once a week this summer, we're going to have a picnic at a public place uh, for, for an evening meal. And we're, we're going to walk across the road to that park and we're going to meet in, in that pavilion and we're going to do, do life there for the evening in hopes that we interact with the people that are jogging by? Uh, are there things that you could do more in public so that you can engage intentionally those people that are in our third places? All right, so that's, that's, the, first, that's the first kind of idea. Hopefully things are percolating a little bit for you, and we'll make some space to kind of process this at the end. Second thing, second kind of idea uh, a really simple, practical way of thinking about creating neighborly rhythms uh, is, is what I would call being a known character in the story of your community. Being a known character in the story of your community. All blocks, neighborhoods, communities, cities, all, of, all areas where life happens, I think tell a story. I think there's a story unfolding. There's a story being told in all of our places. Think about the elements of a story. There's a, there's a plot. In your neighborhood, there is a plot that is happening. In your workplace, in your third places, there, is a, there are things that are happening. People are doing things. People are walking dogs. People are mowing lawns. People are, are coming and going from work. People uh, are uh, out jogging. There, there is a plot. There is a setting. You can think of a, an actual area. Like I have this story that I am involved in that happens from 19th to Emily Dickinson and from Durston to Oak. And I, I, there is a setting there. This is my place. There's a theme uh, for, for every place. There, there's, there's kind of life happening. Maybe it's this is mostly older people that live in this community, and so the theme is that they're kind of wondering uh, if they can take care of their houses anymore and when they're going to move into assisted living. Maybe it's the, the theme here is this neighborhood is young and spry, and there are families everywhere, and, and you got to be careful as you drive by because there might be kickballs that are flying into the street at any moment. And there's a theme, there's kind of a life to, to the community. There's conflict and resolution in, in your place. And then most certainly, there are characters, right? Think of your story, the place where you find yourself, and there are characters. We all have characters in the stories of our lives, people who are known. You can think, think about your, you can think of the, the characters in your story, right? People that are known in the place where you do life. Maybe they're known for good things, maybe for bad. Maybe they're known for being normal, and maybe they're known for being really weird. Like that is, that is the weird guy in my neighborhood. That is, that is, maybe you are the weird one in your neighborhood. I don't, they, maybe, maybe the characters are known for being mean. Maybe they're nice. Oh, that's, the, that's that crotchety old man. Uh, or that's, that's that mom who's always yelling at her kids. Or that's, maybe you're known for being nice. That, oh, that grandma down the street is so kind and she bakes cookies for every new person that moves onto the block. Or, man, that family just seems so sweet and so kind and so nice. Uh, maybe, maybe the characters in your story are generous or stingy. Uh, 
Maybe they're known for being hospitable or standoffish. Like, man, that family is always inviting people over or, man, stay away from that house. Like, they, they just kind of keep to themselves. Maybe, maybe uh, the characters are communal or aloof. But you all have characters, right? You can think of the people that are in your community, in the place where you are doing life. We all have characters. That weird neighbor with all the garden gnomes. That, that neighbor with all the barking dogs. That, that neighbor who always shovels their neighbor's driveway all winter long. That, that barista who is kind to everyone that they serve. That, that waiter who I think really hates their job and I think is discontented with life. That, that funny kid who walks down the street and always talks to you about trains. Like, like whatever the, we all have characters in our stories, right? We all have people that we can think of that come to mind that are characters. Who, real quick, who's got a good one off the top of their head? Anyone? You got a really quick character that's funny? Eric? crazy pastor. I know. We all have people in the places where we do life that are known commodities. We know them for something. So the question then for us is, are we known characters in the stories of our community? Are we actually known in the places where we do life? And what are we known for? Are we normal or nutty? Are we kind or cranky? Are we gracious or greedy? Are we communal or cloistered? And a million other alliterative adjectives that I could use to describe. Are, are you known? Would you, in your neighborhood, in your apartment complex, in, in your workplace, in, uh, in your third places, are you a known character in the story, at the senior center? Are you a known person at the college? Are you a known person, a known character where you do life? And what are you known for? And it is, is it something that you would be proud of? Like, I, maybe I don't want to be known for that thing. Jesus was a bunch of different things He was a part of a bunch of different stories and he was actually kind of a different character in a lot of those stories. Within the story of the sick community, he's known as healer, right? Mark 1 uh, tells us this story of him healing so many people in one town that the whole town comes out to him and he's overwhelmed and he just has to say, I'm sorry, I'm heading to Jerusalem and I gotta just move on to the next town. But he's most certainly known within the story of the sick the community. Within the story of the marginalized community, he's known as friend. He, he's, he partners with, with tax collectors. He touches unclean lepers. He pardons adulterers. He's anointed by a sinner. And he's loved and accepted by all of these people. And he's known as a gracious friend within the marginalized community. He makes himself known within that story. Within the story of the religious community, he's known as a rabble-rouser. He's known, he's known as kind of a troublemaker. He stirred the pot. He challenged the, politis, the political status quo. He threatened the powerful through neither actual threat nor through actually assuming power. Uh, he is so known for his prophetic and liberating life that they end up killing him in the end, right? But he is most certainly 
known. He is a known character. So what would it take or look like for us to be more known characters in the stories of our lives? What are we known for now? Is it good or bad? Is it blessing or curse? Is it helpful or harmful? Is it as someone who talks their faith or somebody who lives it out? Is, uh, or are we even known for our faith at all? And then, what would it take to change any negative perceptions about us and to ramp up all of our positive presence in the story that's unfolding around us? There is a story. You are, in, you are a part of a story. You might, you might not be the kind of character that you want to be, and, and sometimes I'm not either. So what would it take for us to be characters that put the beautiful way of Jesus on display and get others talking about what makes us different in the world? Maybe it's hanging out more in the front yard than the backyard. I'm just going to commit in the evening, instead of sitting on the back porch, I'm going to sit on the front porch and read my book. And then I can engage with anyone who might walk by. So simple, right? And yet, it's those little things that get us out in the community and that offer us opportunities to love our neighbors. Maybe it's committing to nightly walks. All summer long, every night, right after dinner, we're going to walk around the block as a family. Maybe it's family dinners in a local park. Maybe it's offering to mow the lawn for that, neighbor, that elderly neighbor. Maybe it's offering to babysit for that young family so that they can have a date night. Maybe it's just simply getting to know people's names. Like I see that person and I don't know their name and they've lived here for 27 years and shame on me. This is the, this is the week I'm gonna actually just walk across the street and say, hey, I'm Jason. This is kind of embarrassing that I don't know your name, uh, but I'd, I'd like to get to know my neighbors a little better. Uh, maybe this is the moment. And to that end, uh, our community ministry team is throwing down a bit of a challenge this summer. Uh, we, uh, for the last three years now, for the last three summers, we've been doing uh, picnics in more public places. We had a history of doing them in our backyards of church members, and we've been trying to get out into the community. Uh, we're throwing the gauntlet down a little bit more this summer as a community ministry team. And we're going to challenge you in the month of August to throw your own party on your own block. May, and we'll, we'll talk more about that as, as the days and weeks come near. And we're actually going to have a, a workshop here in, in three weeks on the 23rd to help you plan that event, to help you think through all the details of that event, what you would do, uh, who would you invite, how would you invite them, where is it going to take place. Uh, we'll provide a meal. That's June 23rd, right after church. We'll provide food, and we'll help you work through all the details of that. But we're throwing down the gauntlet. And we're saying this is the summer where we actually get out in our community, we take a risk for Jesus, and we say, I'm going to do an ice cream social, or I'm going to do a barbecue, or we're going to shut down the whole stinking block, and we're going to do a block party. I don't know what it would look like in your context, uh, but we're going we're to challenge each other to do that, to actually create space for us to know and love our neighbors, to be a faithful presence in our community. Okay, uh, we're going to take a few moments now 
to, uh, to kind of process. This has been six weeks of different ideas. I appreciate Jana's thoughts last week on belonging as well. Uh, so, so five weeks from me, from me and one week from Jana of just kind of thinking through what does it look like to be a good neighbor, to love our neighbors, to be a faithful presence wherever God has put us. So we're going to take a few moments in silence as best as we can to kind of think through and prepare our hearts to come forward for communion. Uh, But we've been trying to encourage neighborliness in a bunch of different ways throughout this series. But the calling of God is primarily one of outreach, mission, and evangelism. And it's all done under the banner of love. And it's all summed up through Jesus saying, love your neighbors. Be be good neighbors. So there's, a, there's kind of three sets of questions up on the screen here. We're going to take two or three minutes to just kind of sit and reflect. Maybe you want to jot some things down in the margins of your bulletin, some ideas that you might have, ways that God is speaking to you. Uh, but just let's just take a few moments to kind of debrief and relax in God's presence and to think through where, where do I do life? Like, where, where do I live? Who is there? Who are the characters there? What does it mean? What story are, are we a part of? And then how could we become a more, a more known character? Like, what kind of practices would I have to do uh, in, in order to be a little bit more known in the place where God has me? to be a little more accessible, to be a little bit more intentional about being present with people in my third places. And and then maybe the best question of all is, what is God doing in your story? Like, what is God doing in the place where he has you? And and what's he up to? And how could he use your help there in a more intentional way? So let's, we'll take just a, a few minutes to kind of sit and pray and reflect and process and then we'll, uh, we'll end by taking communion together. So let's, let's sit and be in the Lord's presence.
God, we thank you so much that you, that you love our neighbors more than we do, that you love them first, that you have loved us, and that in doing so, it sends us out into the world to try to emulate your love for them. And so I pray that we would be willing to take on some serious practices this summer, serious yet simple. We're talking so easy, God. So give us the courage to just step out. And sometimes it's just saying, hey, Andy, hey, uh, I want to get to know you. Uh, Would we take really simple steps to be able to bless our neighbors this summer? God, pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, As kind of words of preparation for 